Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. I am... Morning? Oh, you're responsive. You guys are a little more awake than that first service. I just want you to know. Okay. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. If they were still here, I'd sit in front of them. But anyway, uh, I'm so thankful to be here. Such good friends with your uh, senior pastor, Skip. He's just been such a huge blessing to us out at Harvest. We, of course, just had him for the Prophecy Conference that we just did uh, a couple weeks ago. And so uh, thank you. When he's not here and he's with us, just know that you have a huge congregation out in Southern California that so appreciate you loaning your pastor to us when he is there. So, But uh, that's a huge blessing. Well, as we get into God's word here this morning, we're, uh, we will be uh, taking our text from Ju- uh, Judges chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Judges chapter 6. And, you know, whenever we have an opportunity to have some time in the word, whenever we take time, whether it's our devotion time in the morning, whether we're kneeling by our bed or sitting at our dining room table or sitting in our car at lunchtime and reading the word, we, m- we must always go before the Lord and ask him, to reveal what he wants specifically for us. Because we can be reading, we can be thinking, oh, that's nice. But how does this apply to me? How does this apply to my life? So even in those times, as it is here this morning, let us go before the Lord that his Holy Spirit would speak directly to us individually on what he would want us to glean from his word this morning. So let's pray together. Father God, we do come before you. God, we thank you so much. You are the God of the of heaven and earth, you're the creator of all things. And Lord, now speak to us as we open your word. Cause us to glean what you want us to glean from your word here this morning. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. All agree and said, amen. Well, I entitled this message this morning, Time to Engage. Engage. Well, that's an interesting word, to say the least. Just what does it mean? To engage? Well, according to Webster's Dictionary, to engage means being committed to support an aim or a cause. It's to bind yourself by promise or pledge. But for the most part, to engage, it means to involve ourselves in a plan or a mission. It sounds so simple. Yet, why are we so reluctant to engage? I wonder why. Maybe we're timid. Maybe we only want to partially engage. Yet, engaging halfway can be even scarier. It would be like engaging halfway and giving a sick cat some oral medication. Let me read to you the directions provided by the Animal Humane Society on their webpage on how to give sick kitty a pill. It says this. I'm reading it verbatim. Pick up the cat and cradle it in the crook of your left arm, holding it as a baby. Position your right forefinger and your thumb on either side of the cat's mouth and gently apply pressure to its cheeks while holding the pill in your right hand. Wait a minute, my right hand's right here. Okay, well, in the event you have another right hand, okay, have the pill. As the cat opens its mouth, pop the pill into its mouth, allow the cat to close its mouth and swallow. Gee, it sounds so simple. Any of you have cats here? Sorry to hear that. No, I mean, just kidding. Okay. Well, 
I thought that, you know, I would come up with my own little method here. I'm not advocating that you use this method. I'm just saying this is how I see giving a cat a pill. Tie your cat's front paws to the rear paws with tie straps, okay? <laughs> Bind the cat to a 50-pound weight, okay? Then put on heavy-duty welding gloves up to your shoulders along with a full-face helmet, okay? At that point, force the cat's mouth open, push the pill in, followed by a live goldfish, okay? That should pretty much get it done. Yes, there's different ways of engaging, that's to say, to say the least, but engaging in certain aspects of life, as you can imagine, could be risky business, to say the least. But this morning... I want to encourage each and every one of you to consider being used by God to reach out to others. To be more specific, I'm talking about making yourself available to those who are lost, those who are hurting. It's an opportunity to be used by God to change the life of someone who has lost their hope. It's an opportunity to see a life turned right side up. People who are empty and lonely, filled Lives that are full of guilt and shame, forgiven. Marriages that are falling apart, restored. Young people who are sold out to sex, drugs, and alcohol, delivered. And most importantly, to, to, for people to see and to grasp onto the hope of heaven in their life. But sadly, most Christians miss these opportunities. In fact, it's been said in Barnapoles that over 90% of all Christians will never lead another person to Christ. How can that be? It's been said that Christians without vision are a little like Alice in Wonderland. As you remember, you know, she asked the Cheshire cat, tell me please, which way I ought to go? And the Cheshire cat replied, well, that depends a great deal on where you want to go. Well, Alice responded and says, well, I don't much care where. Then the Cheshire cat said, well, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Yes, if you don't care where you're going then it doesn't matter which way you go. But for the Christian, it does matter. Because God has given us a purpose and a plan for our lives. And it matters which way we decide to go. And the Bible gives us purpose. And it's very very clearly seen in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. That's where that song was based on that we sang just a few moments ago. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Jesus said this. Think about it. Jesus was so visual. He was so connected with the people. He wasn't like the the stuffy and arrogant religious leaders of the day. It wasn't like when you went to church just because you felt you had to go to church and you just sat there and, okay, I put in my two hours of boredom. Are we almost done yet? Jesus wasn't like that. It's like when Jesus spoke, it's like he was speaking right to you. And again, he would use all these visual things. So at one point, he's like sitting down in John chapter 4, verse 35, and he says, What do you think, about four more months and this crop's about ready to be harvested? I can see the disciples looking over his shoulder. Hmm, you know, maybe looking at little sprouts coming up. Yeah, about four more months, you know. Then Jesus, maybe there was a group of 10 or 12 people walking by on the other side of the field. And he says, but lift up your eyes and look at those fields, for they are already white for harvest. And that's what we have here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We have a harvest 
that is getting ready to be harvested. It's ready. There's people everywhere, all around us, everywhere we go. Understand, God always leads by example. Listen to the passion that our Heavenly Father shows us back even in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 16, where He said this, I will seek the lost. I'll bring back the scattered. I'll bind up the broken. And I'll strengthen the sick. Yet for most Christians, we don't seem to have that same amount of passion to engage in the plan of God. I wonder if the reason we are not turning our own world upside down is possibly we have not allowed God to turn our own lives upside down. Understand, engaging in the work of God, it will cost us. Know that for sure. It will cost us time, it will cost us effort, it will certainly cost us of our resources. But let us not forget, a faith that costs us nothing is a faith that will accomplish the very same, absolutely nothing. Yet if we engage in God's plan, that's when the outrageous can unfold before our very eyes. And you never know when something crazy is going to happen. Here we were in just the last 24 hours. We flew in on Friday night or Friday afternoon. And we did a little prophecy conference. Uh, not prophecy, I'm sorry. That's what we had done at the church a couple weeks ago. We did an evangelism conference here in the hub on Friday night. And then afterwards, we took out me and the nine young people that I brought out that range of ages between 18 and 25. And I brought out nine of those with us. And we came and we hooked up with your young people from your church here. And we took them out on Friday night. We took them out two times on Saturday afternoon. These are different groups of 20 and then we finished last night with another group of 20 actually there was about 30 last night we went down to your city into the central uh, off of central uh, street down there in downtown we went uh, to the malls and in the course of this 24-hour period from friday night to saturday night with your people we were able to lead 27 people to christ right here on your streets That's pretty awesome. And not only did we lead these people to Christ, but we were also able to pray for people out on the street. We were able to encourage. We were able to plant seeds. People that didn't give their life to Christ, but we were able to share Christ with them. And also we were inviting people to come to your church. I was down on uh, in the uh, center city there uh, on Friday night and I invited a young man to come to your church. I handed out one of your cards and the next night, last night, Saturday night, he was here at the Saturday night service and I gave an altar call at the end of that service and he stood right there and gave his life to Jesus Christ simply because he was invited. Well, this morning, we were, we're going to take just a few minutes and look at a man that we could all relate to here in the Bible. He was the fifth judge of Israel. His name was Gideon. We will consider three points concerning his life. Number one, seeing as God sees. Seeing as God sees. Number two, calling his bluff. And number three, realizing our weaknesses. But first, let's get a little history lesson on what, from what we call the hall of faith. Let me read it to you here in Hebrews 11.32. It says, What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephna, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms 
performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, and quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made, who were made strong, and who became mighty in war. Hmm, interesting. Some of you might be thinking, well, that is pretty impressive. Yet how in the world could any of us relate to men of God with a resume like that? Well, as we will see, truly, Gideon was a hero in the Bible. But know this, his heroism was not his own. Gideon was not born the man. He was not born the man's man. He was not some conquering hero. Actually, it was quite the opposite. Gideon was a man with many weaknesses, including being fearful and afraid. That would be at the top of the list. He was raised in a home of complete and utter dead religion. I wonder if there was any here this morning that could relate to Gideon. Maybe you're fearful and afraid. Maybe you've been raised in a home of dead religion. If there are, everything could change for you this morning. If you're willing. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your present circumstances and surroundings might be. And speaking of surroundings, let's take a look at what was surrounding Gideon at the time where we pick up in our story here. First, we find Gideon hiding as he's threshing wheat in the wine press. Now, why? Because he's stricken with fear. So Gideon had gone into the stealth mode. He was hiding from the dreaded Midianites who were ravaging the land by stealing everybody's food. So Gideon thought the wine press was a good place that he could hide, at least from the Midianites. But there was another that Gideon nor any one of us could ever hide from. And that's the all-seeing eyes of the eternal living God. So the Lord comes down and visits Gideon as he's hiding in the wine press. And he starts up a conversation with him. And Gideon takes little time before he starts complaining as he unloads all of his pent-up frustrations on the Lord. Let's read it together as we consider our first point, seeing as God sees. Let's pick up in verse 12. In the angel of the Lord, I'll be reading from the New American Standard here in Gideon's chapter 6. Judges chapter 6 about Gideon. (laughs) And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian. We'll stop there for a moment. Well, this was an interesting introduction, to say the least. As God calls Gideon a valiant warrior, or as the King James says, a mighty man of valor. In the Hebrew, this is translated in meaning a giant, strong, and brave champion. Now, why in the world would God call him that? Gideon resembles more of a spineless worm that is strong and brave champion, to say the least. Listen, only God, who sees and knows everything, could see Gideon. Not for who he was right then, but for who he would become. As Gideon would engage in God's plan, 
As Gideon would engage for God in God's purpose for him. I wonder what great things God sees in you here this morning. Yet it will only happen once you decide to engage in what God's plan and purpose is for you. What he has preordained for you from the foundation of the world. That's when we can become everything that God desires us to be. It's something to think about, to say the least. Well, getting back to Gideon's response. He says, hey, where is God when the bottom drops out, is what he's saying. He's abandoned us, meaning God has rejected us. He's forsaken us. Yet what the Bible says in Psalm 94, verse 14, for the Lord will not abandon his people nor will he forsake his inheritance. Yet Gideon goes on complaining, why do these wicked people continue to prosper anyway? And just where are all those what appears to be nothing more than fairy tales of miracles from time past? He's, of course, referring to Moses and all his great miracles recorded in the book of Exodus as God delivered his people from the slavery in Egypt, turning the Nile River into blood, along with the the plagues that followed and the splitting of the Red Sea. Know this, God sees us as we are. He sees us where we are. He sees us in how we look at life. And he knew exactly where Gideon was coming from. And he sees things much differently than the way that we see things. Gideon was weak, just like we might see ourselves here this morning. Yet God saw Gideon as a mighty warrior, just like he sees us. See, Gideon was done hearing about the power of God. He wanted to see the power of God. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe the bottom line with you, like Gideon, is this. You just want to see some action take place. I don't want to just read about it or hear about it. I want to see it happen. Which brings up our second point. Calling his bluff. Let's read what it says here in verse 14. And the Lord looked at him. You know that word looked, it's it's like he looked right through him. He's seen everything that he was. He looked at him, he looked right through him and he said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Wow. Yes, God speaks to the very core of this young man. And he says, okay, you want to see some miracles? You want to see my mighty hand move in the midst of these ravaging Midianites? Then let's do it. I choose to send you. You go and deliver Israel. Boy, you would think that Gideon would say, are you serious? You're going to send me? Cool. Let's do it. I've got clear marching orders from God himself. I'll take these Midianites out in five seconds. Well, that was God's desire. His desire is to use us. His desire is to do great things in and through us to proclaim His life-saving message to the world. Know this. God has never once went to the atheist. He has never once went to the agnostic. He doesn't go to the cult members and say, excuse me, uh, in the midst of hating me and saying that I don't even exist, would you mind telling people that I died on the cross for their sins? No, he's never done that. God doesn't go to those people and ask them. But he does come to us. Those of us who are born again. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior inside. He comes to us and he says, Would you go to the sick and dying world? Would you tell them that I love them? How in the world could Christians 
who believe what the Bible says, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man will go to the Father but by me. How could we not take this message, the greatest message of all humanity, and not share it with those that don't know? Because like it says, there's only one way to heaven. And if you don't come that way, you won't get to heaven. So God does ask us. He asks us to make the difference. He asks us to stand in the gap. He asks us to be those ones that will take the time and share the life-changing message of the cross with someone. It was Ian Bounds that said this, We need holy men and women to stand before dying men and women and proclaim the salvation of God to them. Yet for Gideon, he was filled with nothing more than hot air. God called Gideon's bluff because in all actuality, Gideon didn't care enough to do something. He only cared enough to complain. That's all he cared about. In fact, we need to get out the box of tissues for this one. Are you ready? As Gideon starts his whining, filled with a boatload of excuses of why he can't be used of God, which brings up our third and final point, realizing our weaknesses. Let's read what it says here in verse 15. And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. Yeah, he just wanted to complain. What Gideon is actually saying is this. What am I going to do, Lord? Don't you know who I am? As he proceeds to give the Lord, you know, a history lesson of his ancestry, as if the Lord needed that. He says, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. Don't you know those guys? Those are the ones that when they came into the promised land with Joshua, they're the ones that complained about their inheritance. And then when they got into the promised land, you know, they just moaned and groaned. And on top of that, I'm from the least of the families in the tribe of Manasseh. And then he caps it all off with, and by the way, I'm the least and the youngest in my own family. What he's saying here is, look, God, I'm from a long list of whiners. This is who you're talking to here, okay? I'm insignificant. I have no skills. I have no value. Look, God, you need to go get somebody else. I am not your man. Well, not much has changed today. The people who complain the most, like Gideon, do the least to change the course and direction of not only their own life, but the culture in which they live. They do the least. Let me ask you here this morning. Have you rebelled against the plans and the purposes and the desires of God in your life? Have you not engaged in what your true purpose is? Listen, we were created... To worship God. We are created to know Him. You are God's prized possession. You are precious to Him. And we're created not only to know God, but we are created to reflect His glory in the world that we live in. That is our purpose. It's an eternal purpose. It's something big. Have you not given yourself over for that purpose? Listen, if you're not living your life with God's eternal purpose, then at what point will you ever put God's plan over your own plans. See, we have plans. All kinds of plans. We have our five-year plans, or ten-year plans. We got our plans with our 401k that we used to have, but it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> anyway, but uh, anyway, but we have plans. But let me just say this. 
whatever your plans are. God's plans are better than your plans. They're better than your plans. He's got a better plan. It's different than your plan because his plan is dealing with an eternal plan. See, we have to put him first. Because if we just put our plans on the possessions and things and things that we can see right here, those things are temporal. They will not last. Let me just ask you. What person, place, or thing has ever given you a lasting satisfaction? What's given you a lasting satisfaction? See, only the things that are eternal can give you a lasting satisfaction. And that's what God wants to put in each and every one of us. Maybe you feel inadequate. Maybe you feel like, well, look, you're talking about sharing Christ with people. I I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to say. I mean, I've had times before where my heart's kind of, oh, I should say something. But then what happens? Well, well, what would I say? Uh, What what would I say if they asked me a question? What if I can't answer their question? And when something was right on a golden platter, God was saying, would you please talk to this person for me? You talked yourself out of it. And all of a sudden, the opportunity is gone. So what we have here is something to help you out here. We have the G3 tactical guide here. You're thinking, are you hawking a book right now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so at least, at least we're honest, okay? Uh, but what we did is we laid out the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. K-I-S-S, okay? It's like the flannel board. It's like, don't you hate when you read, you know, did you read your Bible today? Yes, I read five chapters. Great. What did you read? I have no idea, but I read five chapters. Okay. It's just like, don't you hate when that happens? Okay, this is a book where you, you read it, you get it, because it's simple, stupid. We put it in this, in this order. Hey, how about number one, chapter, engage in a conversation. How do you engage in a conversation? We tell you how to do it. Number, chapter two, how do you interact with someone? How do you actually start, you know, building that little bridge with someone that you first meet? How do you examine this person? The third chapter, how do you examine, you know, where's this conversation going? Where's this person kind of coming from? What's happening here? We tell you how to do that. Then we tell you in the next chapter, how do you explain the gospel? Look, you don't have to crawl on your hands and knees over broken glass to Bolivia. Okay, you just, that's not what has to happen. The gospel message is simple. God made it very simplistic. Then the next chapter, how do you invite that person right here, right now, like the young man in the mall that was sitting on the bench from Santa Fe waiting to meet his friend. His friend was a half hour late, and that's all we needed. Because as I shared the gospel with him on the bench, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. You see, it just, it, it can happen right here, right now. Today's the day of salvation. Then we have this huge section in the back. It's the apologetic section. How do you defend your faith? How do you do that? There I was three weeks ago with Pastor Greg Laurie, and we're sitting in this place, and all of a sudden, Larry King comes walking in. It's like, I'm thinking to myself, Larry King, live, <laughs> literally, <laughs> there he is, okay, and so Pastor Greg, you know, looks over and he says, uh, hi Larry, you, I've been on your show before, you've interviewed me, and he's like, oh, okay, oh, that's, you know, whatever, <laughs> and, and then, so then he's like, oh hey, you know, I said something else, and Larry's just kind of like, ugh, whatever, and I'm just kind of sitting there, blank, <laughs> you know, it's like, and so anyway, he leaves, and I'm like, boss, boss, we should have witnessed to him. He's like, oh, we should have. It's like, and he was gone. It was over. And I was like, oh, what an idiot. I can't believe it. Just missed that opportunity. So we were on our motorcycle. So we ride home and I'm going home. And the whole way I was just so convicted. Lord, I'm so sorry. You know, I should have said something to him. So the next week, you know, this is bizarre. I'm going into Los Angeles. So I'm going to meet this guy for lunch. And I don't know where to meet him. And he calls me, where do you want to meet? I don't know. I don't know this area. You live there. I don't. I go, well, hey, listen, we were in Beverly Hills last week. Uh, I know this restaurant that we ate at me and Pastor Greg. You want to meet there? He goes, oh, I know where that's at. So fine. We meet there again. 
So I'm praying on the way down. Lord, let me run into Larry King today. Oh, yeah, by the way, okay, live. <laughs> so, and so, so uh, we're going down and, and, and we're in this restaurant. Anyway, we're eating and I was only going to spend like an hour with this guy. I'm with this guy for like two and a half hours. I'm forever. I'm thinking, I got things to do. I got to leave. And so we're going up and we're sitting in this coffee bean and we're just talking. And I'm like, I, I, I really got to go. I, I have to go. And all of a sudden he gives me one of these deals. You know, and I'm like, what is that? So I'm looking and all of a sudden, Oh my goodness, Larry King. And so, so I take off and I go right over there and I'm like, uh, excuse me, Mr. King, uh, you've been quoted as saying in the past that if you could interview anyone throughout the course of all humanity, that you would interview Jesus Christ. He says, you're right, I did say that. And I said, well, what do you think about when Jesus says, what does a man profit if he was to gain the whole world, yet forfeit or lose his own soul? And he goes, well, that's a good question, no matter who asked it. And I'm like, okay, it's a, and I was done. I'm like, okay, yeah, I figure I got 30 seconds with the guy and that's it. Well, he sits down. And, uh, and so I sit down right next to him. He's at these little round tables of this, you know, coffee bean. And so I'm sitting, I mean, he's literally like this far away. And he goes, so let me ask you, young man, where was your God when this earthquake hit Haiti? And where was God when this happened? And this tragedy, and this happened. You know, and I'm just like, okay. I'm thinking like, okay, I guess we're witnessing. So I, uh, so I go back to my book. Okay, okay rifle through the uh, defense section. Okay. And so he, he goes, so do you believe that man has evolved? I said, absolutely not. I believe that there's a divine creator behind the creation of man and that we were made in the image of God, that we were not evolved. So you disagree with every scientist out there. I said, well, actually, not every scientist believes that. I said, I used to be an evolutionist back in the early 70s. And I used to watch all the Dr. Leakey movies and all of this and everything. And back then they said that man evolved over the course of 30 to 60 million years. But guess what? I was in the uh, National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. last year. And now they have a setup where they're saying it's 850 million years to a billion years for this to happen. Why is that, Mr. King? Is it because this is so complex for something to create itself out of absolute nothing? It's going to take an awful long time? I said, I got two words why I don't agree with this. He goes, well, what's that? I said, irreducible complexity. You cannot reduce complexity. I said, think about your eyeball, you know, Mr. King. And I mean, I'm literally this far away. I said, you got a pupil, you have an iris, you have a lens, you have a retina. And I said, then your eyeball is connected by a, 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 like really a complex fiber optic system. It's 127 million rods and cones on each eyeball that goes up and connects it to the brain. So I grabbed the fork off his plate, you know, so hey, hey we're friends now. Okay. <laughs> so... I said, I go, do you see your fork? I go, do you know how long it takes you to picture that fork in your brain? It's a picosecond, one trillionth of a second. Just bam, instantly that picture is in your brain. I said, this is the point. You cannot reduce complexity. The eyeball is one complete unit. It cannot just evolve over years. It's not like a pupil came 200 million years ago, ran into a rod and a crone, and those things are like bunny rabbits, man. They multiply, okay. And it's like all of a sudden, you know, it, you cannot, it, it, one element of the eyeball, if it's not there the whole thing doesn't work you cannot reduce complexity there's a god in heaven and he created you larry and he wants to know you and he's like you know i you know the bible was written when man thought the earth was flat how can i believe a book like that i said well you're right i said man didn't think that the earth was round till the 15th century but that's not what god said and man just wasn't smart enough to pick up on it because it says in job 26 7 which is the oldest book in the bible it says that god created the earth and he hung it on nothing 
And it also says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, that God sits above the circle of the earth. So God knew it was round. He goes, hmm, interesting. I didn't know that. And I said, and also, he goes, he, well, then he goes, well, I just can't believe in God. I said, well, look, the Bible says only the fool says in his heart there is no God. I go, the Bible says you're senseless. And he's looking at me like, hey, he took it like a man, okay? <laughs> so... <laughs> And so anyway, I got to share with them for like 25 minutes, just one thing after another. But many of these things that are just brought down into simplicity, we have here in this book. You can get it outside. There's only like a couple left. Sorry, because we ran out because the last service. I'm sorry, they beat you to it. They just bought them all up. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, the point is this. There is ways to defend your faith. The Christian faith is a reasonable faith. When you sit there and think, oh no, we just came from nothing. And one point that I told Larry, he goes, well, how can you believe in God, that there's a God, that he created everything? I said, because it says in Romans 1, that it, when you look at the very existence of God, it screams of, of, of his, I'm sorry, when you think of his creation, it screams of the existence of God. I go, just walk outside, look at the palm trees. I said, Larry, the earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It travels in an orbit around the sun, 520 million miles long. I go, you think that just happened? He goes, good point. And so pray for Larry. Obviously, just the week after I talked to him, he, you know, uh, he's going through a divorce and all of this stuff. And I gave him my card, my cell phone number. He was really nice, really open. I shared with him for like 25 minutes. But you got to take advantage of the opportunities that lay out before you. Because if we don't, then who will? No one else will. Understand, God was looking for a man when he found Gideon. And Gideon had nothing to offer God but a life that was filled with excuses. But get this. God wanted him anyway to deliver Israel from the Midianites. Maybe you feel weak and feeble. Maybe the thought of you being used by God is just complete and utter comedy. That's okay. We must realize our weaknesses Look, it's pretty obvious now that Gideon was no superhero. But the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven: God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound those things that are wise. That's what he said. Look, when you think that God can't use little old you, that unbelief will tie your hands of service. They'll dull your eyes of vision and shrink your ability to engage in God's plan. God instills great expectation in us. He says in Philippians 4.13, we can do all things through Christ. And when you kneel before God, know this, you can stand before any man. And what will become of the man or the woman who makes a choice to engage in the work of the Lord? What will happen? When you choose to fully engage in this, God will change and energize your soul. He will give you courage where you once feared. You will tangibly see in your life, no longer will you have to submit to the fear that paralyzes your soul. Maybe this morning, you need to know that God has a plan for you. Understand, it's not too late for you. God has great purpose for you. Thomas More said this, no man has ever lost anything by serving God with a whole heart, nor have you gained anything by serving Him with a half of a heart. And all through the Bible, God uses a host of misfits, men like Gideon that were the least of the least, Jacob, also known as heel catcher, deceiver, also, people like, you know, Jonah, the heartless prophet who wanted to, you know, uh, roast God. I mean, have God roast his enemies. I mean, well, I don't know. He didn't want to roast God. But he wanted God to roast the Ninevites. He didn't want to save them. People like Peter, the scrapper fisherman that had hoof and mouth disease. Always putting his foot in his mouth. Only God can ignite our soul. Know that. He can only 
draw us out of a place of complacency and spiritual slumber concerning sharing our faith to a place of total engagement, a place of commitment to God's purpose, a place of total involvement, a place where our eyes are on eternity. And what did God do in Gideon's life? He looked into him and says, I will be with you. Just like Jesus looks into our eyes and says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And with that encouragement, Gideon went out, started with an army of 32,000 men. God shrank it to 300 men, and he crushed an army of 120,000 people with the power of the living God behind him. Gideon obeyed when it didn't make sense, is the bottom line. Gideon obeyed when all the odds were against him. And in the same way, we are to obey as we reach out to those in our sphere of life. I wonder what changes could happen if we would simply, if we would simply allow God to work in and through us in this culture. I wonder if there's any here this morning that don't have this relationship with God. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that you're just like, are you a madman? Well, that's a whole other story. But anyway... The thing that made the difference in Gideon's life is in verse 34. It was the secret. It said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Nowhere else in Scripture in the Old Testament is there any kind of a verse that says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon every person. It was only a hit and miss thing, a handful of people. David, the Spirit of the Lord came on him. He took out Goliath. The Spirit of the Lord came on Elijah, the prophet on Mount Carmel. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Moses. There's a handful of people that it did, but it was not for everybody understand that but in the new testament the bible says the spirit of god lives in each and every person who has come to him and has submitted to him and the spirit of god wants to be unleashed inside of our life so that we can be more than we could ever be on our own god never asked you to be used by him in the power of your own weakness he says i can do great things in and through you god is the power he's the power source he's the one that makes our heart beat in our chest with no batteries So here's my question to you here this morning. Is there any here among us that are fearful and afraid? Is there any here among us that have allowed their faith to go into possibly a slumber? Maybe you find yourself here this morning as a a person who is a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. You've just kind of drifted away. You were much stronger in your faith at one point. Now it's just kind of going through the motions. Maybe there's some here this morning that have never made a commitment to Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to make a stand for Christ here this morning. And then I want to pray for you that you would become everything that God wants you to be. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask them to just do a little snippet of a song. And I'm not going to have everyone bow their heads and and all this. I just want, do you want to know Christ in a real, in a full way? Do you want to know for sure that you are able to be used by Him, that your life has really become alive again inside? Where you were once dead have become alive. There's a wonderful verse, and it was written to the believer who has slipped away from these things. It's in Acts 3.19, and it says, Repent, therefore, and return to the Lord. You can't return to something that you didn't know. He says it's time to return, and it's time for refreshing to come upon you. Because he says... Repent, therefore, return to the Lord so your sins may be forgiven in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 
Maybe you need a time of refreshing this morning. Maybe your faith needs to be rejuvenated again. Maybe your faith needs to become alive again. Maybe you've never made a commitment to Christ and you don't know that you know that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. Don't leave here this morning without that because there's a God in heaven and He loves you and you are precious to Him. You are a treasure to Him and He wants you to know that you know that He has not given up on you and that He loves you tremendously. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.